Thank you, everybody here. I have been listening to Michael's、uh, Sovereign Nation and watch a lot of his production on inter on YouTube for a long time. So I'm so honored to be、uh, invited here as a speaker for this conference. And today, I'm going to talk about history. As you have heard from the previous speakers, it is so important to know about history. In 2020, when the BMMers and Antifa took over our city and terrorized our communities, many Americans was shocked. And then this, what happened? What happened to our country? They have this big question because they never seen anything like this. But for people like me and like Lily. We know right away. We know the history. We lived through the history. What happened in 2020 is exactly what happened to us more than 50 years ago. That's the importance of knowing history. To know history is to understand what's going on today, and what's going on today is the repeat of the Chinese culture. Revolution. So that's my topic. But in order to understand Mao's Cultural Revolution, I have to go back a little further before the Cultural Revolution, because the Cultural Revolution is not a unique, uh, isolated incident that took place in the Chinese history. There are many, many things that happened before it that leads to it. So I will start earlier, and will go after the Cultural Revolution to give you a full picture and help you to understand what it is, really what it means. Okay, next. So let me tell you a little bit of myself. And growing up in China, I was told, as all our generation were told, we were lucky to be born in New China. And grew up under the red flag. That not, that's not my choice. My parents, they chose communism. They joined the revolution, and then they helped to take over China. I did not make the choice. As many of the young people today in America, they choose communism over capitalism. I. Like Lily, we were born into the slavery of communism. That's what happened to us. I grew up knowing nothing but communism. My brain was filled with indoctrination because I have no access to anything else. My young life started in Cultural Revolution. My earliest memory was Cultural Revolution. I was in first grade when Cultural Revolution started, and、uh, the ten years of Cultural Revolution was my school years. After graduating from high school, I was sent to the countryside to work in the fields with the peasants, doing primitive work, just like all the other urban youths, to to be re-educated by the peasants. And after Mao's death, when Deng Xiaoping took over China, finally 
they, uh, he opened the university, and I was lucky, lucky. At the age of 19, I was able to go to college. And after that, I was fortunate to get a student visa to come here for my graduate study in 1986. So I have been here since then. And I just love, love this country. And I'm just fighting with all our friends to save this country because this is such a special gift to the entire humanity. Next. So I will start back to the early days after communists took over. And I will go through the major, major events that lead into the Chinese Cultural Revolution. One of the first political campaign that the CCP launched after they took over the power and took over China in 1949 was the land reform campaign. It is a very important campaign because it is during this campaign that the political, uh, the identity politics in China was codified. What is uh, the land reform campaign? It was the campaign to fulfill the CCP's promise to the poor peasants that they will get free land. They are not going to just get free land, but they have to struggle, a bloody, bloody struggle to get the land from the uh, uh, landowners. And in the process, up to two million landlords were killed. And what happened in that campaign is China, for the first time in its 3,000 history, people were divided into two classes, red class and the black class. Red class were the people who are the allies of the revolution. Black class were the landowners, property owners, the wealthy people and they were the enemy of the state. And uh, everyone would know what class you belong to. If you belong to the black class, the class is inher uh, hereditary. You're going to pass it on to your children and your children's children. And you are deemed as the enemy of the state and second class citizen, you lose automatically many, many of the basic rights. Okay, so in any of the uh, government papers, you are required to fill in this important uh, question, like uh, here in the United States, when you fill in a, a, a paper, uh, government do uh, document, you, you usually will say what race, right? Whatever, give you choices. There is two choices. What's your class origin, black or red? So from that time on, everyone has identity you carry with you, and they determine how your status in the society and your future. But it's not static. It's not like you're red and you're red, you're black, you're black, no. In the very beginning, black class were consisted of two, property owners, basically landlord, and uh, uh, rich peasants. But that's just the very beginning. It expanded and expanded and expanded. By the time of the Cultural Revolution, 
the hundreds, hundreds of labels that will put you in the black class, and uh, uh, including uh, made-up uh, labels. Okay, and being red is not always safe. That you're always red. No, no, no. Mao believed anyone who belonged to the red class could be influenced by the bourgeois poisoned ideology and become corrupted in your thinking. So you can fall into the black class if you're not careful. So being red, you have to constantly, constantly study and, uh, and Marxist uh, and Mao's instruction to make sure you don't think differently than what you are instructed to. So this is, uh, this is fluid. Many, many people fall into the black class, and including Xi Jinping, the dictator of China. His father was condemned as a counterparty uh, bad element. When he fell into the bad, uh, black class, his whole family fell with him, and they lost their privileges, and they were um, really persecuted by the Red Guard. I just want to show you, everybody worried that you want to keep your red status. You do everything you can so that you are always on the right side. And that is also the red class is considered the people. The word, the very word people is, was reserved for the red class. If you fell into the black class and you just enemy, you're not part of the people. You have humanity was taken away from you. And that become the basic operating, operating uh, system for the CCP going forward. Next. Following the land reform, land were given to the uh, um, poor peasants. Okay, so everyone was happy for a while. Not for long. Following that, Mao launched another very important um, campaign. It's called Let 100 Flower Bloom. Sounds really good, right? He wants everybody outside the CCP to make suggestions, such, uh, uh, constructive suggestions to the CCP to help them to improve their work. And uh, especially intellectuals. The CCP want to hear the feedback from them. Many were just too naive. They fell for it, and then they speak up. And of course, one of the most important issues that we raised is free speech. That the CCP should allow people to talk freely. Well, soon after, the launch of that campaign, Mao turned it into an anti-rightist campaign. More than one million intellectuals were labeled as the rightist. Immediately, you become part of the black class. They were exiled to labor camp. Many did not survive. So what this campaign did was it criminalized free speech. Free speech is banned. Not only that, they also criminalized right-wingers. So being a rightist 
Now you are part of the black class. So we're here, we're all rightists. So, right, we're all rightists here. And so, in fact, we're all part of the black class according to CCP's, um, their, um, their plan. Okay, next. After uh, free speech is silenced, right-winning, right-leaning thought were criminalized. Mao launched one of the next major campaign. It's called the Three Banner Campaign. It consists of three things. The first is the first five-year plan, the command economy. And the next is the Great Leap Forward campaign. Some people probably have heard a little bit about it. Uh, Dr. James Lindsay talked about that a lot. And, and then the, the last one is People's Commune campaign. Collectivate, collectivize all the, um, all the uh, um, rural area. All the land they were given, now it's taken back by the state. So what happened in this uh, um, campaign? was a result of no one can challenge the madness and absurdity. Mao believed by using sheer manpower that China could industrialize and pass, surpass United States and the United Kingdom. And by what? By steel production. So, Everybody was mobilized, everybody. Townspeople, uh, peasants, they all mobilized to do one thing, one thing, produce steel. With what? With backyard furnaces. Absolutely insane. And so everybody was told to search through your household, get everything that's metal and send it to the production team so that they can throw into the furnace and supposedly produce steel. Spoons, door handles, whatever, was thrown in. And what happens, it come out useless steel. And that uh, campaign failed miserably. At the same time, the peasants were told, give up everything you're doing right now, like farm work, Go make steel. Next. And at the same time, everything is collectivized. And uh, private cooking and dining was banned. Everyone has to go to the commune dining hall. And it's called big dining. Okay, it's called free. Free everything. It's not free. Where the foodie well, was from? It's collected from every household. The food, the crop, the, uh, the uh, uh, livestock, the utensils, stools, and tables. Everything was taken away from private homes and put together in, uh, as a big dining hall and called free. And people had a good time. And they were encouraged to eat as much as you can. And uh, so they did until the food ran out. At the same time, the commune campaign was actually a campaign of lies. Because people realize if you tell truth, you will be penalized. But if you tell lies, you'll be rewarded. 
So everybody was telling lies and it was a competition from the local village to the central government. And then the second is the picture of a commune showing that their crop was so, so productive and the rice, uh, rice field, a young girl can sit on it like a carpet. And of course, by the time in harvest, they have to, they have to give to the government the crop that they, they said they had that they had so much of it. Actually, Mao was wondering, what we do with all this uh, surplus crop? And he was very creative. One of the things he said, we can make a lot of alcohols. But you know, lie will eventually, you have to pay the debt for the lies you made, famine. So in, from 1959 to 1962, big famine hit China up to 50 different numbers because uh, um, there's no official number from the CCP, you never get it. But different assessment, some uh, estimated up to 50 million people starved to death. I was born during famine, I have no memory of course, but I heard a lot of stories from my parents. They were the lucky ones. They were in the city. Most of the starvation took place in the countryside. So this is a big deal. Even in a communist country, even in the communist, the murderous regime, have that many people starved to death. was a big deal. So Mao was forced to admit his mistake. In the 7,000 central high-level government meeting. And uh, so he was forced to take a back seat, and then the country was, uh, uh, the country back at that time was running by the two, two important people, Liu Shaoqi, the president of China, and Deng Xiaoping, the vice premier. So their focus was to recover from the disaster by improving the economy. Can you imagine? Mao took a back seat and let his power go, no way, no way. So that was 1962. He took the next few years, planned a big comeback. Next, in 1966, he launched the great proletarian culture revolution. And he told um, foreign, uh, visitors once, that he, in his lifetime, he was a very proud of two major achievements. The first was his revolution, overtaking the power from the nationalist and make China the communist country in 1949. The second was his cultural revolution. But we know, you know a little bit already, that is not all he did. He launched so many political campaigns, one after another. It was counted that he launched more than 50 political campaigns. Each one left a lot of millions, millions of victims. But anyway, so now we are here. Cultural revolution. Next. What's the goal of cultural revolution? 
First, seize power. He did not really lose power, but he was not running the country. That was not good for him as a dictator. So the, uh, the, re uh, the goal of the uh, Cultural Revolution is to not just seize power, but establish, establish his absolute power. That's what he was after, absolute power. And that's not it. He had another goal. He wanted to erase everything before him, any tradition, any ideology, any social values, anything, and establish Maoism as the only, the only supreme belief system in China. So that was the two, it's just important to remember. Those are the two goals of, uh, that he launched the Cultural Revolution. Next. So you, you, when you launch a revolution, you need revolutionaries. Who are the revolutionaries for Mao's Cultural Revolution? In his first revolution, he depended on peasants. He promised the peasants that he would give them free land. It was the peasants that put him in power in the first revolution. For his second revolution, he has a, he has a um, um, better way of getting his revolutionaries from his government schools. After 17 years of uh, taking over this education system, he had an army of indoctrinated kids, and they will be his army for this revolution. And those kids, ranging from elementary school to college um, students, and they were called the Red Guards. And by now, you probably heard that a lot. And I think that in America, finally, we have our own Red Guards, only that they're blue. So those are the, uh, um, the um, um, students that he was uh, um, mo uh, mobilized. And how did he mobilize the students? There's no really effective communication um, um, system back then. Phone, telephone was very scarce. And there's no Facebook, no Twitter, you know. What he did was brilliant. He, uh, he uh, first of all, he met the students in Tiananmen Square early in August of 1966. And there's the first, uh, first Red Guards rally on Tiananmen Square with one, more than one million participants. He had seven more after that. He had a total of eight rallies for the, uh, for the uh, Red Guards. And how did, they, how did he get them all to Beijing? He issued free travel for Red Guards. All you need to do is have a, a Red Guard band. You can have a free train, free bus, free food, free lodging everywhere you go. And that's called the big link up. Why? He wants to mobilize this, uh, the kids so that they can meet and connect and, uh, and, and mobilize and motivate each other. So by the, uh, by, by the end of uh, 1966, the whole country was mobilized. More than 10,000 youths become Red Guards 
ready to do, take any order from their red commander-in-chief, Chairman Mao. Next. So what are, what, what are supposed to do? They have targets. What were their targets? Because Mao started this revolution for what? For power. So think this way. It's kind of strange, but it is true. The Chinese Cultural Revolution was a revolution against CCP. It's a revolution against his own party because he felt like his, his, uh, his party was no longer uh, under his control. So the target were the CCP officials up down the chain from uh, village, local village, to the central government. And anyone, anyone that has authority. And as a student, who are the first one you would go after? Those people that have authority. Teachers, right? Teachers and uh, uh, school administrators, because they were condemned by Mao as bourgeois reactionary, uh, bourgeois reactionary intellectual authorities. And they should go. So that's what the Red Gods went after first. The first killing in the Cultural Revolution was, the, uh, was done by a group of young girls in the girls' middle school in Beijing. Who they killed? They killed their assistant principal. Young girls, 12 to 16, yes. That is the beginning of the violence of the Cultural Revolution. And then they are, they're going after anyone, anyone in authority. And of course, who were in charge of China back then? CCP officials. So they went after, I as a little girl, I witnessed many, many struggle sessions, including the struggle session of the governor of my province, Li Jinquan. And so the Red Guards, took him and they found the two really tall red guards and to, to, just to uh, help him on the stage. And then they read all sorts of condemnation. I did not, in, I did not witness any beating for that particular uh, struggle session, but he was beaten. He was struggled against multiple times and along with his wife who committed suicide. And his son was in the college um, back then, he just dared to defend his father. He was beaten and uh, killed by the Red Guard. So, but don't, don't feel sorry for him because the same guy, the governor of my province, he oversaw many struggle sessions during, during the land reform and he ordered many of the landowners being executed. So it all come back to him. And during the uh, Great Leap Forward, my province, his province, had the highest death row, death row in China. Eight million Sichuanese peasants perished. But now it's back to him. That's communism. Okay, but the number one enemy of Mao was someone else. You probably guessed it. The president of China, Liu Shaoqi, because he was put in charge 
of uh, um, the, uh, uh, the country's affairs after Mao was uh, backseated. That's him, Liu Shaoqi. He was, he had to go through, and his wife too, had to go through many, many uh, struggle sessions, condemned, he was kicked out of the party, and exiled. And he had a miserable death. Died alone, denied any medical treatment. And that's communism. Next. That's not only it, because uh, a CCP uh, official was only part of the target. The next is everything traditional. And like Michael already mentioned, the four O's. By now, you probably hear more about it. That is a Mao-style cancel culture, four O's. Old idea, old culture, old ha custom, and old habit. All have to go, all have to go. Statues have toppled, and uh, um, books have to be burned, and names of the institutions, streets have to be changed. Sounds familiar? Yes. And after they finish with everything in the public, they go to people's homes. So it's called the home raiding campaign. The, uh, the uh, uh, Red Guards went home to home to find and destroy anything that's old. Vases, furniture, personal belonging, including correspondence, and the manuscript, whatever. That was the largest looting campaign ever took place in the history of China. Next. That's still not it. This is a revolution that is going to destroy everything. Everything, including social norms. Things we take for granted, such as woman is a woman, man is a man. No, everything has to change, but they were not as creative as uh, the radical here. So the family bond has to be destroyed. Children were taught to report their parents of any anti-communist uh, or anti-party comments. This guy, his name is Zhang Hongbin. Hongbin means red guard. So he was one of those red guards changed his own names into Red Guard. And so at 16, he reported his mother, who was making a complaint about the Cultural Revolution in the privacy was uh, at their home. He reported to the party. Two months later, his mother was executed. And this is not an isolated incident. It happened a lot. Family destroyed. Here we know, you know, the, uh, the left was uh, after toxic masculinity, right? Mao was after toxic femininity. Why? Femininity is too bourgeois, too weak, not revolutionary enough. So that has to get away with. So we had Mao's iron girls as seen in the, uh, um, the picture in the middle. Man, the, the, we were taught, growing up, we were taught there's no difference between men and women. Whatever man can do, women can do it better. And so we grew up, look like a man,
talk like a man, dress like a man, and we think we were men. Sounds familiar? And meritocracy, of course. They have to get rid of meritocracy. And so um, in the beginning of the Cultural Revolution, all uh, universities were closed. When they finally opened in uh, early 1970s, there's no examination, no admission tests. The qualification is your political standing. You have to be a good, you have to be in the red class, and you have to be recommended by your party leader. That's the only qualification. In the, uh, in the, in the first group of admission to the best university in China, Tsinghua University, about half of them only had elementary school education before they were admitted to college. Because Mao was not interested in education. He was interested in what? Indoctrination. He wanted to have his people come out of college, become a loyal follower of him. Okay, next. That's still not it. Mao wanted to destroy all CCP's institutions. Why would he want to uh, destroy his own institutions? This is his institution. Because they're not radical enough. Not radical enough. That's the reason. So he destroyed the criminal justice system. The slogan was, abolish our criminal justice system. It's their version of defund police. What happened is uh, police were told they could not fight back if they were hit by the Red Guards. And they were asked to stay away from any campuses. And in the beginning of the Cultural Revolution, that's where the violence took place. So eventually, 90, more than 95% of the uh, criminal, uh, uh, criminal justice system personnel were exiled. And, uh, and there were some were just not uh, even survived uh, the Red Guards. So that's gone. That's gone. No, China become a, um, a country of lawlessness. Violence took place and chaos descended. Education system. That's his education system. It's not, but it's not radical enough. It has to be totally destroyed. And so in the beginning, there was 12 years for public education, just like here, 12. Mao cut it cut two years out. He said, what's the use of uh, more education? More education is not any, uh, uh, it doesn't do any, uh, anything. So he cut it into 10. So I only have 10 years of schooling. And out of that 10 years, I lost two years because in the beginning of the Cultural Revolution, school were closed. Sounds familiar? Children here lost two years during the COVID. I only had eight years of education and one of those years was after we went back to school. Um, and all the uh, textbooks were banned because they were not good enough. They were not radical enough. For a whole year, we have one textbook. Guess what that is? Mao's Little Red Book. We read it from beginning to the end and back from beginning to end. That's our textbook. When finally the textbook came back to us, it, it is just basically everything 
and all the uh, Marxist and the Maoism is injected in everything, mass everything. And that's happening here today in America as well. Because they're not interested in educating people. Their only goal is to indoctrinate them. Okay, the, um, the entertainment, art and the entertainment has to be totally, totally radicalized. During the 10 years of Cultural Revolution, okay, before the Cultural Revolution, CCP has made more than 400 movies and, uh, and operas and all stuff. They are all deemed as poison weed. They are all deemed as not politically correct enough, not radical enough. So during the Cultural Revolution, we had a total of eight model plays, a model plays, plays. And so it, there are two ballets, there's some uh, two ballets and a six Beijing opera. That's it. I probably watch all of us, like Lily, we know every line of it. That's all we had, eight of them, because they were the correct ones. So everything has to be radicalized. And the military, military, totally radicalized. The, the soldiers were trained. The best weapon they had is not the actual weapon. The best weapon they had is Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong thought. That's the most, most powerful weapon. If you are armed with that right thought, you were unconquerable. Sounds familiar today? If you do DEI, our military will be unconquerable. Okay, next. Now everything was replaced. After the Cultural Revolution, everything old, everything before the Cultural Revolution has to go, and we have our new culture. And uh, the, the new culture is a culture of rebellion, culture of violence, culture of chaos. That's Mao's slogan. Rebellion is justified. Just like today, this, uh, the uh, Antifa and uh, BMM. Any problem, go to straighten and burn the house, burn the buildings, and, uh, and yeah, that is uh, the, uh, the, new, uh, the new culture. Class struggle become the norm. Everything is class struggle. Just like here, everything is racism. Anything is class struggle. And we, we really lost I, as growing up, I really don't even understand what class struggle is about, but it's class struggle. If someone um, is condemned and we have a uh, um, struggle session and it's called struggle, class struggle. So it's a part of our culture. And the political correctness, my goodness. Everyone has to watch. Self-censor. Chinese become the master of self-censorship. We watch everything we say. We watch so much of what we say that everybody's telling lies. And nobody trusts each another person, not even your spouse, not even your children. And the snitch culture becomes the norm. And that's coming here. That's sadly, that's coming here. And of course, cult of personality. After all this, there's one winner. That's Mao. He effectively become our God. Next. So, what is cultural evolution? 
a cultural revolution. It's really a world turned upside down. As Mao wrote in his poem, he said, it is, it, it is made me compassionate to see a world turned upside down. Yes, it was. And he turned our world, my world, Lily's world, upside down. Next. What, what was the consequence of the Cultural Revolution? The Chinese civilization was destroyed. Don't believe it, that they are still there. The uh, uh, Confucian Institute, you know, they, they want to, the world to see that they are the heir of Chinese civilization. They are not. They are the heir of Marxism. The Chinese civilization was destroyed. The institution dismantled. It took a long time to recover. The economy it was in ruin. A whole generation of the Red Guards were lost. Future stolen from them. 20-some million lives lost through violence, persecution, and a huge, huge number of suicides. Okay. What's more important is uh, the communist ideology was bankrupt. At the end of the Cultural Revolution, no one, no one believed in communism anymore. So China was at the edge of total collapse. Next. Well, capitalism came to the rescue. After Mao's death, Deng Xiaoping took over China. He was a, a, a pragmatist. He said, in order, in order to save CCP and save his power, he come up with this doctrine. No matter white cat or black cat, as long as a cat mouse is a good cat. So he ushered in the so-called reform. He welcomed, he opened China up and welcomed uh, the Western um, investment, and because that is the only way he can save China. But he never, he never hid his true intention. He had four basic principles, and the principle was uphold socialism, uphold proletarian dictatorship, uphold communist leadership, and uphold Marxism, Leninism, and Mao Zedong thought. He never even hided that he become a capitalism. No, he was a communist through and through. He was keep China through, a communist through and through. And in 1989, he brutally crushed the pro-democracy student movement in Tiananmen Square when the whole world was watching. But the greedy, the greedy um, and the corrupted Western politicians and the corporations, some naively believe, some pretend they believe that China is going to open up and transform itself into a capitalist country. 
They are trying to, yeah, they did it because their own greed. And after decades of uh, uh, engage, engagements with China, what happened? China never changed. China killed democracy that came with the open up in its infancy. On the other hand, Western world become more and more like China and become more and more authoritarian. Next. So this is where China today. After all that, China transformed itself and become the most, most powerful threat that the West has ever, ever faced. Next. After all that, communism was not, not only it was not def defeated, it became mainstream in America. And that's where we are today. And that's why we have to fight to save this country. Thank you.